Can self-awareness about our own mortality make us better doctors? I'm your host, Dr. Maurice Pickerton. Joining me today is Dr. Irvin Yalom. Dr. Yalom is the Emeritus Professor of Psychiatry at the Stanford University School of Medicine. He is also the author of the definitive textbook, Theory and Practice of Psychotherapy, and also the textbook, Existential Psychotherapy. Thank you, Dr. Yalom, for joining us. I'm very pleased to be here. We're going to be discussing your newest book, though, Staring at the Sun, Overcoming the Terror of Death. Can you tell me, Dr. Yalom, what prompted you to write this book? Maybe my own age. I'm, I'm in mid-70s now, and obviously I am thinking about these kinds of issues, thinking about end-of-life issues as well. And so, you know, my wife is also a writer, and by sheer chance, her new book that's just out is about 400 years of American history through gravestones. So it looks like we're both working on these kinds of issues. But in reality, I think I wrote a textbook. On, called existential psychotherapy. It's, it's been widely used for the last 25 years, and I've always meant that I would revise that book as maybe my last book. And so I started to do that. But that book was about the anxiety that comes out of just facing our human condition. And when we look at things very deeply within ourselves, we come into contact with certain important basic concerns that all human beings have. Among these, of course, the predominant is, the, is mortality. And there are others, too, that I, I'm not discussing in this book, such as meaning in life, such as creating our own life design, the freedom that we have to face, you know, as well as the kind of isolation we have to. But as I started to revise this book, I realized that most of the patients I've been seeing for a number of years that fit into this really are patients who are dealing with extreme death terror, it comes out in many different forms. So that's why I decided, well, I'll just concentrate on what I've learned about working with death anxiety over the last many years. Well, you use those words almost interchangeably. Could you define or separate anxiety from terror? Yeah, yeah, you're quite right. As soon as I did that, I thought, well, maybe I shouldn't have used that word because I'm very consciously using the word death terror. The publisher said it, death anxiety, you know, it sounds better, but I don't think we can erase anxiety about death. I think it's just so built into us. It's part of our evolutionary survival mechanism. You know, every living being has some kind of, takes some sort of evasive action in order to persist in its own being, and we do too. So it's hard to imagine eliminating this completely. I've certainly never been able to do that for myself. So I think it's percolating there under the surface all the time. It comes out in dreams for all of us every time we have a nightmare. It's a dream about naked death anxiety that's escaping. So I think every one of us has this, but I see patients. I saw one just the other day now who came to see me. She had to take a drive of, of a number of miles, a number of hours to come see me, and she was with her parents, her aged parents. But she saw the trees and the beautiful mountains she was driving over and but was obsessed with the idea that this will all be gone. Everything will turn to dust, her parents as well. So the fear of death kind of invaded everything she did. Furthermore, she was very hypochondriacal, the slightest little ailment. She's in to see the physician, pestering them in many different ways, they would feel. But I think it's all a way of her trying to deal with this terror that's gripping her deep inside. I noticed that in reading the various case stories, that if there were medical professionals, they were either psychologists or psychiatrists. I know your practice is in the center of a medical complex, Stanford, and I was intrigued that there were so few other clinicians other than a retiring surgeon. Was this by choice, or 
do many clinicians don't deal with this particular anxiety or don't realize they have it? Okay. Well, first of all, my practice now for the last several years has just been simply a private practice. I'm taking an early retirement from Stanford. So I'm not in the center of a medical complex right now, although I deal with physicians, of course, all the time in one way or another for them looking at my various aches and pains as well. But it is true. I'm working primarily as a pure psychotherapist using occasional patients always you know, psychopharmacological drugs, but I am working in a medical practice, but I'm very conscious of issues that physicians face. For one thing, I worked for 10 years with patients with fairly late-stage metastatic breast cancer. This was 25 years ago, but I spent almost a decade working with these patients, so I had a lot of interchange with MDs about that. And I wanted to see what we could do for dying patients, and also I wanted them to be my teachers as I started to write that textbook. And we began to form groups of cancer patients, which are, of course, very commonplace now. But at that point, there weren't any, and it was kind of a, it felt like a high-risk kind of endeavor. Incidentally, I just think of another comment about your last question about anxiety and terror. I just got a copy of the Australian copy of my book now, and they have termed it dread, overcoming the dread of anxiety. Uh, They didn't like the word terror. They felt that would drive readers away. So there's somewhere in between. Much is written about how physicians don't necessarily prepare their patients for dying, how they don't communicate with them. They often use hints, and I've certainly been guilty of this, such as your renal failure is worse, your ejection fraction isn't as good, but we stay away from the D word, dying. Is this possibly due to physicians not recognizing that they're having anxiety about their own death and mortality? You know, I I, I think that it is. It is what you're saying rings very true to me. But on the whole, though, in working at least with Stanford Oncology and the oncological department, I, I feel they're being much more direct about this right now than they were 10, 15, 20 years ago. You know, I saw a patient with pancreatic cancer just a few days ago. His oncologist had been extremely direct with him, and he he realized what the statistics were. They showed him the statistics. They showed him what kind of cells he had and what the spread of it was and what people in, with this kind of grouping looked at the chart of how kind of life expectancy. And he, he was very aware that he, he knew that he had a life expectancy of about three months. So I think that is changing. I think what you're suggesting, perhaps, that if doctors and therapists, the same thing, if we're not really dealing with our own fears about death, then we can't deal with our patients' fears about death. We don't want to talk about things directly. If you're just joining us, you're listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD XM157, the channel for medical professionals. I'm your host, Dr. Maurice Pickard, and we're speaking with Dr. Irvin Yalom. Dr. Yalom is the author of the best-selling book, Staring at the Sun, Overcoming the Terror of Death. Certainly, your comments about physicians talking about death, certainly oncologists are probably ahead of the game, so to speak. I wanted to ask you, though, also, who did you write the book for? My secret audience for about the last 10 books I've written have always been writing towards young psychiatrists in training and psychologists in training, people who are training to be psychotherapists. That's always my secret target audience. The publishers, like any publisher, of course, on this book, want to make it a more general book that laymen as well would read this. So 
That's, I directed it towards the general public, hoping to reach as many people as possible. I insisted in this book and writing the last chapter, pointed much more towards therapists. But even then, I said in the first couple lines of that chapter, I was writing it in a way that the non-professional could eavesdrop and still be informed. Well, it's interesting because in the end of the book, you talk about therapists not wanting to deal with death anxiety. I took a shot at my own specialty, internal medicine, and I was surprised at the end of the book that psychotherapists don't like to deal with this. Often, I think one of your quotes was, if it doesn't itch, don't scratch it. Leave it alone. Let's move on to something else, possibly Freudian in character. Yes, exactly. Therapists have always, if you look at the professional literature, there's always been such a preoccupation in in our field, the field of psychotherapy, with the past, with what's formed us, with the first few years of life, you know, kind of Freudian look about the the suppression of, of sexual feelings or even trauma in early life, all the effects. Well, what I'm suggesting, yes, I do think that's true, but I think anxiety, terror in us, also arises not only from the past but from the future. That is, our future as we look into it and and anticipate it. And that's what I mean by facing mortality, one of the basic ingredients of the human condition. When I saw the title, Staring at the Sun, I thought about, you know, we can only look at the sun so long. Are you really saying to us we can only deal with our own mortality to a certain degree? It took us a year to try to figure out a title for that. And what I meant by that title, I'm playing off of an old French saying, which is there are two things we can't stare at, the sun and a death. And I think in this book I'm saying, you know, I know you can't stare at the sun, but I think you can stare at death. Yes, I feel, and it's a major theme of this book, if we stare at death, stare it down in a way, you know, it can inform the way that we live. It can change the way that we live. I'm writing this book so that therapists can help ameliorate death terror. But I'm writing it also to say to them, you can do much more than that. You can also change the way that people live. It gives you a a tremendous, powerful fulcrum in how you can create change. If I could tell you, let me tell you how that my insight about that came about. It was when I was leading this group of cancer patients, with breast cancer patients, and I began to have the experience that a substantial number of them, oh, I would guess a third, third of them, seemed not to just slip into despair about their final months, but actually began to change, began to, as they put it, kind of almost enter a golden period of life. One of the patients says to me, well, you know, Dr. Yellum, death cures psychoneurosis or cancer cures psychoneurosis. Another one said, what a pity it is that we had to wait till now, now that our bodies are riddled with cancer, to learn how to live. That's a a basic issue in this book. How do we help people grab hold of the wisdom that can make them change their life? The cancer patients said, well, they began to trivialize the trivia in life, began to focus on the things that are really important, and they felt they were living more richly and more wisely. They were very anxious for students to observe their group so because they felt they had something to teach. Ordinarily, my therapy groups don't want observers, and if, they, if we insist on observers because we need it as training, well, they go along with it, but very grudgingly. Well, what are the steps, then, you have to go through to have this awakening experience? Much of your therapy dealt with dreams, and I'm sure a lot of hard work was done between you and your patient to arrive at awakening. But if you're not in therapy, how do you come to the awakening of your concern and anxiety about 
death and dying? Well, you know, there's a, there's a tremendous amount of literature and, and film in the public domain about death, and I, I think all of them are kind of capable of doing this. We have to look within ourselves, and we take advantage of certain kinds of markers. I do a lot in therapy on birthdays, for example. When people are 40 or 50, they get big birthdays, they say. That's called upon. You can sure expect this at major life era changes in, in life era. I'd like to thank Dr. Irvin Yalom for being our guest today. I'm Dr. Maurice Pickard, and you've been listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD XM 157, the channel for medical professionals. To listen to our on-demand library, visit us at ReachMD.com. If you have comments or suggestions, call us at 888-XM-157. Thank you for listening. I am Dr. Lenore Terre with UCSF in San Francisco, and you are listening to the first national radio channel created specifically for medical professionals, ReachMD XM 157.